there, fellow true believers. Welcome to Simply Devotion, a podcast that takes complex theological ideas and transforms them into points of understanding. I am your host, Pastor Vinny, from simplyvinny.com. Now, hey there, true believer. I am so glad to have you back. Thank you so much for coming back to another episode of Simply Devotion, the podcast where we like to focus on Jesus in deeper, more theological, more interdependent ways so that we may learn why he is worthy of all of our devotion. I want to just ask a quick favor of you before we jump right into today's message, because I am so excited about today's message. If you could just put a like or make a comment on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on, it would greatly help me grow my audience. I've been really trying to grow my audience. This is a one of the few podcasts and one of the few ministries that charges the user nothing. I pay all the upfront cost to host this podcast, to host my website, to um, buy equipment. I don't even have a Patreon account as of yet. Because this for me is a passion because I want to share the gospel. So if that is your passion... Help me share the gospel. Together, the gospel can go to the ends of the world. There was a man. His name was Nick. And Nick heard about this wild and radical evangelist who had been visiting many of the churches in his area. In fact, this evangelist seemed to be going off script and he seemed to be teaching things from the front of the church that no evangelist had ever taught before. And so, like, people were getting upset and they were calling the denominational headquarters and they were like, what is going on with this radical evangelist? And so Nick kept hearing these reports. Nick also worked as a denominational employee. And he had a reputation of being a senior employee with lots of tenure, stature, and even, you know, credentials. And so it happened that one day the denomination got together with the other leaders like Nick and they said, hey, Nick, we need someone to go on down there to one of these crazy revivals that this evangelist is doing. We need someone to spy on him and see what he's up to because the things we are hearing, no one can be allowed to say in our denomination. So Nick the faithful, dutiful, denominational leader that he was, he began to go to these various evangelistic revival outreaches, you know. And at first when he was listening to this evangelist, he was like, this dude is off the hook crazy. But 
the more times he went back, the more he began to like get drawn in by this guy. He was getting hooked. And there was like this one night in the middle of an appeal that Nick was unsure. Was he losing his mind? Because the things that this evangelist were saying were so radical. They were so crazy. They were so inclusive that if his employer, the larger denomination, knew that Nick was leaning towards understanding and agreeing with this evangelist, that he would be terminated, that he would lose his tenure, that, that he would be outcast just like this evangelist. Nick was conflicted now. He didn't know what to do. He was only going to these meetings because he was sent there as a spy. He was sent there to seek out this dude and to see if he could find flaws in his thinking so that, you know, they could bring it back to denominational headquarters and take this guy down, come up with a strategy. But Nick didn't want to take him down. Nick wanted to embrace him. Nick wanted to love him. Nick wanted to follow. Oh, that word was on. Almost came out of his mouth one day. I, I, I want to follow. Fo fo he tried to hold it back. I, 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 I. The appeal music was playing. The mood was set. I want, I want to follow. I want to follow him. Nick was confused. Who was telling the truth? This radical upstart that no one ever heard of, no one even knows who he studied under or what university he graduated from, or how he's getting these speaking arrangements. But, but Nick had tenure. Nick had respect. And to accept the things that this evangelist was saying, it would mean the end of everything Nick and his family had put together and engaged in all of these years. He was so troubled. Now, he came up with this idea that maybe that if he could talk face to face with the evangelist instead of, you know, just sort of sitting at the back at the end pew close to the door, you know, with sort of a hoodie over his head so that no one would recognize him. He thought, well, if I could talk to this evangelist face to face, if I could talk to this evangelist as a person, if I could talk to this evangelist like... Maybe I could make him see my point of view. Maybe I could make him see the established denomination's point of view. Maybe we could reel this dude back in. Maybe, maybe there'd be a place for him in denominational headquarters. But he couldn't just go down to the altar call like, like all these other people were. If he was saw going down to this evangelist altar call, it would be a humiliation to him. And certainly that would get back to his co-leaders at headquarters. Nick arranged through some associates a late night meeting with this rabbi. And that's why I call this message 
Nick at night. Because Nick was afraid to meet in the light. Nick was afraid to admit what was happening in his heart. Nick was worried what other people would say about him. So Nick only would meet in secret with this rabbi late at night when no one was watching. Now, you probably are on to my gag, and you're probably aware that this Nick who's afraid to meet Jesus at night is the famous Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And this rabbi, of course, this evangelist, of course, is Jesus. And the denominational headquarters, of course, is the Sanhedrin, the elite group of religious leaders in the time of Jesus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which is a high order, high rank, a teacher, and probably a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the higher rank of Pharisees and Sadducees come together to be a ruling body. They are usually ruled over by the high priest. John tells us in John 3, there was a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and that he was a ruler of the Jews, meaning that he had some sort of high standing beyond being a Pharisee because he's not just a Pharisee, he's a ruler. This is why it's safe to assume he's probably in the Sanhedrin. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice the flattery. He's trying to um, appease Jesus, lure Jesus in, soften Jesus by, first of all, acknowledging that Jesus is a rabbi. And Jesus is a rabbi. He is a teacher. But secondly, we know that you are a teacher come from God. He is speaking for the Sanhedrin here, or at least, at the very least, the Pharisees. This is spoken in the plural. He's not saying, I think you're a teacher. He's saying, we know you're a teacher. We know that your signs must come from God. But Jesus will not be easily flattered. Jesus will not easily be sucked in by kind words. Jesus is not like, you know, Christians. <laughs> and, you know, just say that right nice stuff to us and our egos go crazy and we're going to believe everything that comes next. No, Jesus has Wisdom. Jesus has discernment. Jesus looks past words and he looks into people's hearts. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Notice. Jesus 
doesn't answer the flattery. Jesus is not like, oh, my heart flutters. Thank you so much. Oh, you are so kind. I, I don't deserve that. Jesus, Jesus doesn't give any of those quaint, meaningless, empty responses that sometimes pastors are tricked in to giving at the door when someone says, oh, your sermon was so good, it must have been from heaven. Jesus looks into the heart of Nicodemus and he goes after the heart of Nicodemus. He's like, look, I know what's wrong with you. I have seen you on the third to last pew every night. You know what I'm saying from Torah, from Moses, is true. But you're not born again. That's why it can't all come into place. And hey, Nick, I love you, man. But no one gets into the kingdom without being born again. Now, Nick, he's educated. Nick, he's smart. Nick, he is intelligent and he is witty and he is quick. And Nick comes back with this outrageous statement. Now, I know you've read the story likely before, but this statement is outrageous. It is insulting and it is full of malice. Because now Nick is being pushed. You see, Nick just wanted the secret meeting. He just wanted to do it at night. He just wanted to try to, maybe there's some way we can make an impasse here. But, but this guy flat out tells him that there's something wrong with him. So, so Nick's going to put this guy down. And so he says to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I got him now. You know, he's, he, he's got his crowds, and when his crowds are with him, he can get all the amens and, you know, say all the smart things and quote Moses and David and Daniel in the right order. But now what's he going to say? Because I got him. He told me I had to be born again. Such a thing is not possible. You know, you can't go back up inside your mother's womb and come back out again. He said something stupid, and I'm going to call him to task on it. Like, seriously? Nicodemus, you didn't think Jesus meant that you had to go back inside your mother, who probably isn't even alive at this point because you're a Pharisee, which means you're of an advanced age. <laughs> you are just shooting your mouth off to try to put Jesus in his place. But notice, Jesus doesn't let anyone determine deter him from his path to try to save us. Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus is not like Christians where if you throw the right insult at them, they will come back at you mean. Jesus stays the course. Truly, truly, I say to you, less one is born of the water and the spirit. 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, let me back off and help you a little bit of exegesis here. Exegesis is a theological term that literally means to pull meaning out of the text. Ek is the Greek word for out. Ago is the Greek word for um, to pull. So you're pulling out meaning when you do exegesis. You must be born of the spirit and the water. Nicodemus is not baptized. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. I mean, I know we've made this to be about baptism. But what Nicodemus did practice probably daily, if not daily, at least weekly, was ritual Jewish washing, which was a practice that Jews did. They washed themselves as a ritual washing um, a ritual cleansing of anything that they may have come into contact with that was unclean. In fact, even now in Jerusalem, one of the things I noticed was these ritual washings still going on. When you go down to the wall, particularly at Sabbat or Sabbath, you go down to the wall, which we often call the West Wall of the Temple Mount, the Jews will wash their hands in. There's these things, they look like fountains, don't drink from them. <laughs> the Jews, they're washing their hands, they're doing that ritual washing because they cannot touch the holy wall at the Temple Mount. The hand that may have touched a bug or may have touched someone who was unclean, maybe a Gentile or whatever. So Jews practice ritual Washing. So actually, the, the practice for baptism comes out of this, and we'll talk about that one day. It won't be today. Uh, well, not too much today. Just in passing, when John is introducing the idea of baptism, he's taking it from this tradition of the Jews ritually washing to make sure that they've not come into anything, into contact with anything unclean. So... Jesus is not necessarily directly referring to baptism in this verse. Although I don't have a problem if you want to use it for baptism. Jesus is saying you must not be unclean. Or in other words, you must be clean and of the spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, Jesus, if you're tracking John 3, verse 7, tells Nicodemus, do not be sitting there trying to figure out what I'm saying. Do not be sitting there pre-planning your words. Do not be sitting there pretending to be the ultimate intellect with all the degrees from the Sanhedrin. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then Jesus uses an example for the Holy Spirit from nature. The wind 
blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So to be born again for Jesus, that this is really important for us. So, you know, hit the volume up button if it's not already there. For Jesus, to be born again means to be born of the Spirit. To, for Jesus, to be born again means to be in connection with the Spirit. For Jesus, to be born again is not so much about water. It's not so much about acceptance of doctrinal thinking that will come but it's about being connected to the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit that speaks to our brain and imparts theological understanding to us even as we read the word. Now back up and think about this for a minute with me. Nicodemus has the Old Testament memorized inside in out since the age of probably eight to 10 in the rabbinical schools. He doesn't need to know the word anymore. He knows the word. What he doesn't know, according to Jesus, is the spirit. Nicodemus is attracted by Jesus because Jesus is the word in flesh. And Nicodemus knows the word. This is why Nicodemus is conflated and confused because he doesn't know what to do because he knows the things Jesus is saying, but he can't make them spiritually align with him. And Jesus is like, you need the Holy Spirit. Now, this is how the Holy Spirit works. Some people think it's a magical sign. You know, there's been times that it appeared as flames over people. No, 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 no. That was a rare once in a time thing. It was had to do with Pentecost, and we're not going to be able to get into all of that today, but to say that was the first time since Jesus left when he told them in Acts to go pray for the Holy Spirit that they collectively received it ever in the history of mankind. So that was kind of a special occasion, all right? No, some people believe like getting the Holy Spirit is like sudden time you're going to like just start talking in different languages. Well... It is true that the Holy Spirit could give you the gift of speaking in another language if it wanted to and if it had a purpose to, but to make speaking in some language a test of the Holy Spirit is like not really what the text is saying. What the text is saying is you can't see when someone has the Spirit, but you can do, but you can see what the Spirit is doing in somebody. Did you ever wonder how Jesus reads people so well? Did you ever wonder how Jesus reads Nicodemus so well? Oh, yeah, okay, we can say that, well, he's God. Well, okay, but do you really think that's how it works? Do you really think that Jesus, like, did some Vulcan mind meld where he just reached out and read Nicodemus's mind? No, Jesus can tell where Nicodemus is, because Jesus walks in the spirit. 
Jesus is intimately always connected with the Holy Spirit. And so when he looks at Nicodemus, he sees a man who knows truth. He sees a man who knows the word. He sees a man who has Torah and the prophets and the poetry of the Old Testament memorized verbatim, but he doesn't have the spirit. And Jesus flat out tells him that he can tell he doesn't have the spirit because if he had the spirit, he would see the effects of the spirit blowing in the branches of Nicodemus. You say, well, it says when the wind blows where it wishes, you will hear the sound. It doesn't say where the spirit blows. Well, that's just because we are looking at English. In Greek, and actually in Hebrew as well, but we won't get into the Hebrew today because we're dealing with a Greek original language document. But in both languages, the words spirit, breath, and wind are the same word. When God breathed into Adam, God put the spirit in Adam. And so here in this verse, Jesus literally is saying, as the spirit blows. You see, he's using a word on purpose, I think, that can go either way. Because Nicodemus thought he was going to be all tricky with Jesus and go like, oh yeah, am I supposed to crawl back up inside my dead mother and come back out? Is that how this works, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no. It's like the wind, which is another word for spirit, <laughs> when it blows. It goes where it wishes. Like you, you, you can't see the wind, can you? You can't. The wind is invisible. If you say, look, it's windy. Look at the wind. You're not. No, you're talking about what the wind is doing. You're talking about you can see the tree moving. You can see the flower petals uh, blowing around. You, you can see your kite up in the air. And you can see, you know, um, the flag flapping. But you can't actually see the wind. This is what Jesus is saying. I know you, Nicodemus, because I don't see the flag a flapping. I don't see the branches swaying. There's no evidence of the moving of the Holy Spirit in you. Even though you are a firmly planted tree. The good Pharisee that you are. Nicodemus being a highly educated man certainly gets the irony that Jesus is using here. Word spirit, wind, breath, ghost even, is pneuma. Pneuma in Greek. Pneuma. Jesus is saying, when pneuma blows where it wishes, you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the pneuma. When the spirit, when the breath, when the wind, when the ghost, as in Holy Ghost, 
blows where it wishes. You hear the sound and you know where it comes from and where it goes. So does everyone who is born of the pneuma, spirit, ghost, wind, or breath. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, curtly, bluntly, directly. How did you get to be a teacher in Israel and only know Torah and only know prophets and only know poetry, but not know these things? How are you a teacher in Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Literally, in verse 9. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive a testimony. If I had told you earthly things, You do not believe. That's why Jesus spoke about it in terms of the wind. How can I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, this is a loaded statement. We could spend a whole podcast and more talking about this statement. But Jesus just said, no one's gone to heaven except for the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. And then he refers immediately to Moses because Nicodemus is a Pharisee an expert in Torah, an expert in Moses. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Why the serpent? I often wondered that. Why does Jesus make parallel between himself and the serpent? Well, we could go back and try to look in uh, numbers at Moses and see um, what it is that um, was going on in this story, but we'd miss the point. The serpent is a symbol of the devil, but the serpent even more so is the symbol of sin. Jesus became sin for us on the cross. Look at the very next verse. This is what the very next verse means. All that I have shared with you is the context of the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but into the world that the world might be saved through him. Unless you're born of the Spirit, unless you're born of wanting to meet the truth in the dark, in secret, to know the truth, to have memorized the truth, to quote the truth, to teach the truth, but not have the truth permeating your soul. You won't understand. That's the reason Jesus came to die. That's the reason Jesus was put on the cross. That's the message of the power of the cross that God loves you enough to give his son. So that when Nicodemus sees Jesus on the cross and Nicodemus will see Jesus on the cross, this we know from this same gospel account. Nicodemus will remember this conversation and Nicodemus will remember that Jesus became sin for him, became a symbol of sin for him so that he would not have to be sin. And Nicodemus will realize that while Nicodemus didn't stop the Sanhedrin from condemning Jesus, Jesus stopped his father from condemning Nicodemus. As Moses was lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, Nicodemus, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, Nicodemus. That's what Sanhedrin do. That's what the rabbis do. That's what the Pharisees do. That's what the priests do. But no, God sent his son into the world to save it, not to condemn it. In order that whoever believes may be saved. Now, friends, I'm going to state the obvious in case you've missed it. John 3, the story of Nicodemus, is a highly Trinitarian passage. And we often have not seen it that way. But it is. You have God, God the Father, wanting to save man through God the Son on the cross. But God the Spirit, the pneuma, is required for man to understand the intentions of God the Father and the sacrifice of God the Son. It is God the pneuma, God the spirit, 
that brings conviction of the things that Nicodemus and mankind in general see that saves us from our sin. And so we have the full Trinity at work. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's new for us. We don't often stop and think that this is, in fact, a highly Trinitarian passage. There are many things, if we would study this passage a little bit more, that might pop for us. The other thing that we tend to miss, because, you know, we're so busy quoting John 3.16 at football games and on banners hanging over stadium seating, that this statement, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, is made to Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Yes, it does apply to us. I am not suggesting it doesn't apply to us. But these words are being said to Nicodemus. Watch. Now there was a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, we know, we know. You're a teacher from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless they're from God. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, ha, 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 how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mama's womb and be born out of it again? Jesus frankly looked at him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water, you are ritually clean. And of Numa, the Spirit of God, you cannot enter the kingdom of God because only things that are of God go into the kingdom of God. Are you getting it? I say to you, unless you are born of water and of Numa, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh, it's flesh. Things from earth are earth. Things are polluted are polluted. Things that are unclean are unclean. Water and spirit be cleaned and have Numa. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit, the pneuma, is the pneuma. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. As the pneuma blows, where it wishes, you hear it sound. You know where it comes. You know where it goes. So is everyone born of the pneuma. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered. How can you be a teacher in Israel and yet you don't even understand these little things? Truly, truly, I say to you, if I speak to you of things that bear witness of earth that you can see and you do not receive our testimony, notice how Jesus switched to the plural here. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven, except for he who has descended, the son of man, speaking of himself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, speaking of the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, Nicodemus. I'm supplying the word Nicodemus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he not, has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Remember, Nicodemus is not sure if he wants to believe Jesus is from God. Jesus is calling Nicodemus out. Jesus is saying, get off the fence. Receive the pneuma. You have the Torah. And Jesus warns him of judgment. And this is the judgment. The light, Jesus, has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not want to come to light, lest his works be exposed. Remember, that's why. I hope you're not missing it. Nicodemus is meeting with Jesus at night so that his works are not exposed, so that the Sanhedrin doesn't know. <laughs> He's having a secret meeting with Jesus, and then like Jesus is like, hey, dude, people who like to do things in the dark? <laughs> but I'm all about the light, <laughs> and I expose everything eventually. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. He's appealing. He's in appeal mode with Nicodemus. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, in Numa. I am so glad that's not all we know about Nicodemus. The whole 21 verses are set up to tell us that when Nicodemus sees Jesus on the cross, he realizes that such convictions only come from Numa. 
and that he is being born anew and that he will have to be transformed and he will have to come off the fence and he will have to make a decision. It is when you understand what happened on the cross. It is when you understand what Jesus has done for you on the cross. That is when Numa gets into your heart. That is when Numa gets a hold. You can be ritually washed as many times as you want, but you need Numa to be born again. You can know Torah, you can know the prophets, you can know your New Testament, you can know it all, but you need the Spirit to be born again. Truly understand that God is not trying to condemn you, but save you. Now watch. The next time we hear from Nicodemus, it is approximately four chapters later in the same book. John chapter 7 and verse 43. Thus the people were divided about Jesus. Some wanted to seize him and lay hands on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the priests and the Pharisees, and they asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one has ever spoke the way this man spoke, the guards said. You mean you were deceived also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees even ever believed in him? No. This mob knows nothing of the law. And there must be a curse on him. 750. Chapter 750. Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Who had gone to Jesus earlier. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, inserts himself in the argument among the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus says, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him out to find out what he is doing? They, being the Sanhedrin, replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that no prophet comes out of Galilee. Nicodemus, four chapters later from his meeting with Jesus at night, is in a meeting with the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. And when Nicodemus hears that they're planning to put a curse on Jesus, which means to kill him, Nicodemus tries, tries, tries to stand up for Jesus and says, look, it's against our law. Did we have to first hold a trial before we find someone guilty? The rest of the Sanhedrin bark back, Nicodemus, you're as bad as a Galilean. Nothing is ever going to be a prophet from there. And Nicodemus backs down 
Because Nicodemus understands the law, the Torah, but not the Son and not the Numa, not the Spirit. What does Nicodemus need to understand the Numa, to be born again? He needs to see Jesus on the cross according to Jesus. We next see Nicodemus 12 chapters away in chapter 19 in verses 38 through 42. And now we find a Nicodemus who has seen Jesus on the cross. He's seen Jesus lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. And the Numa is upon him. How do I know Numa is upon him? Does he say I am speaking in tongues? Does he say I have a flame over my head? No, we know Numa is on Nicodemus because like the wind in the trees, like the wind fluttering a flag, like the wind brushing through tall wheat, we see the result that the wind leaves. John 19:38. Later, Joseph of Arathema asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus but secretly a disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jewish leaders. Hmm. Another disciple who out of fear didn't want the Jewish leaders to know about his convictions. With Pilate's permission, Joseph came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Not any Nicodemus, not a different Nicodemus, the same Nicodemus that was mentioned in chapter 7, the same Nicodemus from chapter 3. The Nicodemus and John 19 says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier visited Jesus at night. Joseph gets permission from Pilate to take the body of Jesus down from the cross to not disgrace him. And he is accompanied by Nick at night. The Nick from the night of the meeting with Jesus. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 
weighing in at 75 pounds, taking the body of Jesus, the two men wrapped it up with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb. Tombs were often used, and bones were taken out, and new bodies were put in. And often tombs had different rooms within them for different family members. But this tomb is different. This is a new tomb. At the place where Jesus was crucified in the garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb nearby was nearby, they took it and laid Jesus there. Nicodemus, like Joseph, Nicodemus, saw Jesus on the cross. Nicodemus saw Jesus on the cross and had Numa breath, wind the ghost, the Holy Ghost. Just as Jesus told him, when I am lifted up, Nicodemus, I will draw all men to me. We don't have to wait. We don't have to meet Jesus in secret. We don't have to be afraid to speak up in public settings when people speak against Jesus. We don't have to wait until the later stages of our life like Nicodemus to make our confession. But thank God Nicodemus did. We know Nicodemus did because we see him acting with Numa. Spirit. Can we say, here's the spirit on Nicodemus? No, we cannot. But like the Numa blowing in the trees, we don't know where Numa came from or where Numa is going. But we need to admit we recognize the power of a Numa even if it is invisible. Jesus is worthy of our devotion because he hung on that cross so that we could be reunited back to our Father without any condemnation.
And when we come to see Jesus on that cross and not just see words in ancient documents, Numa breathes into us. We do not need to return to the womb. We are new. Be new. Be born again. Look at the atonement Jesus has made for you. Let the Numa blow in your hair. Let the Numa push you down the path. Let Numa direct your steps. You have been listening to a podcast by Pastor Vinny McIsaac from simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, check out our blogs, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of jazzy promotional stuff. But most important, let's keep growing together in Jesus Christ all the more as we see the day of his return approaching. See you at the next podcast. God bless.